There are a couple of ways that we use AI to tell better stories. So number one, it is using computer vision to generate more data. So we've been pioneers in player tracking data. We've been doing that for 10 years where we had cameras in venue and we tracked players at a very high frame rate. So a lot of the next generation statistics that you've seen in terms of player tracking and basketball and soccer, they basically came from us. Hey everyone, welcome to Brains Behind AI, the show where we meet the innovators, entrepreneurs, and the real brains behind some of the most successful AI startups. We ask them about their journey from coming up with the idea to finding the product market fit, and from their experience, draw a set of principles that we can take away to ours. This is your host, Ari. Thank you for spending time with us. And now, let the show begin. Hello and welcome to another episode of Brains Behind AI. Today we have with us Patrick Lucy. Patrick's the chief scientist at Stats Perform, a sports data AI company spanning analytics across media, betting, fantasy, teams, and leagues. Patrick was a Disney researcher previously where he researched automatic sports broadcasting using large amounts of spatio-temporal tracking data. Prior to that, Patrick was a postdoctoral researcher at the Robotics Institute at Carnegie Mellon University and Department of Psychology at University of Pittsburgh, conducting research on automatic facial expression recognition. He was a co-author of the best paper at the 2016 MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, and in 2017-2018 was a co-author of the best paper runner-up at the same conference. Additionally, he won best paper award at Interspeech and WSEW international conferences. Patrick, so honored to have you on this show. Welcome. Great. Thanks for having me, Ari. It's a pleasure to be here. Patrick, before we dive into the company and sports analytics, which is of a personal interest to me, I want to learn a bit more about you and in your personal background. How did you got into artificial intelligence? What was the trigger that got you interested? Yeah, sure. So like everyone in this space, we all have a, a, a different background. So you probably tell from my accent, I'm, I'm from Australia. So born and raised in Australia. And the really nice thing about Australia is that, you know, there's a, a love of sports. So growing up, I played every sport underneath the sun. I played a lot of soccer, cricket, tennis, golf, rugby league, union, anything. So always love numbers. I always follow statistics. I used to keep my own statistics. Uh, and so I just had a love of numbers in sport. And so I was actually a reasonable athlete growing up. I played eight years semi-pro soccer while I was doing my electrical engineering undergrad and then my PhD. And then I got to the end of my PhD. I did that in audiovisual speech recognition. So analyzing visual and audio data to help improve speech intelligibility and, and, and speech prediction. Really, my passion was in sport. And so that took me around the world. So I wanted something more so... I was lucky enough to get a position at CMU working at analyzing facial expressions. So I worked with Ian Matthews and Jeff Cohn. And then I got the great opportunity to work at Disney Research Pittsburgh, where we were trying to do an automatic sports broadcast. So Disney owns ESPN, and we're seeing now you know, a lot of sports consumed via streaming. And so a lot of people cutting the cord. So 10 years ago, we had an ambition of trying to teach a computer sport via tracking data. And by doing that, we wanted to do auto automatic broadcast. So had five great years there, did a lot of great work. We published a lot of papers, a lot of seminal work, I like to think. But ultimately to do 
things with impact, you have to follow the data. And so at Stats Perform, where I joined nearly six years ago, I head up the AI group. I started the AI group from scratch. And at Stats Perform, we have the most data. So we've been pioneers in computer vision tracking, where we had our first computer vision system back in the MBA arenas in 2010. And then we've just had 40 years worth of data. And really, the goal of the group is to maximize the value of the data. And so that's kind of my journey. It's kind of full circle, where I have a love of numbers and also leveraging AI to maximize the use of that. Yeah, and your love of sports combined with it. When did you get the idea? Was it originally your idea to start a company that focuses on on that? How did you go from Disney research to to a company that does that for a living? Yeah, so that's a very good question, Ari. So at Disney Research, we did a lot of work, a lot of great papers. Now, again, to do anything in AI, you actually have to have a big source of data. And I think most of the interesting problems now are in industry. You have to go to places which have the data. And so even though stats perform, we've been around since 1981. Anyone familiar with sports analytics knows Bill James. So Bill James was part of the grassroots campaign which wanted more sports data back in 1981, which spun off stats and providing data across all these different sports. But for the longest period of time, they've had all this data, but they really weren't utilizing it. And so again, they needed someone to set up a data science group or the AI group. And then based on the work that I've done, they asked me to to join and start a group from scratch. And so since we started the AI group at Stats Perform, we just started with me and now we have close to 50 people, part of that AI innovation team, and you know, including data scientists, computer vision engineers, as well as mach- machine learning engineers. So I didn't start the startup, but I started the group. And so I think that's the story for a lot of industries which have a lot of data. They need to have that startup mindset on how can they best use the data that they have and use AI solutions to create differentiated solutions. They had the data, you came in and you brought in the intelligence, the AI aspects of it and you put the whole group together if we go back in time frame when when was that how many years ago where you joined the company yeah so i started at stats perform back in 2015 october 2015 and that's basically when the group started yeah so, so about, uh, about six basically years. six years ago yeah, yeah yeah that's not not too long ago that's that's very good there's some interesting things I saw when I was looking at your website. I saw you're targeting different markets in different way or different customer segments, I would say, where you're, there was a focus on the broadcaster, the content creators, and so on. So when you think about the AI group and how AI services the sports industry at, at Stats Perform, what are the categories of use cases that you're solving with AI? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a B2B company and what we do, wherever sports data is required or needs to be consumed, we provide that. And so the the markets which we serve, number one, team performance. So teams need data to make better decisions. Number two is media and tech. So we work with the biggest companies around the world. So when you check a soccer score in Google, that data from the one box comes from us. If you ask a query to Apple Siri, any sports question, they get their sports data from us. Amazon Alexa is the same. So Microsoft Bing, so when Microsoft Bing in that one box, the sports data is comes from us. All sports books, obviously in the US here, sports uh, gambling is becoming legalized. And so all sports books use our data. So we have our live 
running ball feed where we have the fastest and best data for in-play betting, especially in soccer. Also, Opta is part of Stats Perform. So whenever you check any media, so Sky Sports or if you follow NBC coverage here, that soccer data is provided by us. So really, wherever sports data is consumed, that data comes from us. And billions of people touch it every day, but they probably don't know where we really are, the DNA of sports. So we, we, we provide that data. We're the kernel of all knowledge. And really, the value of what we provide is reconstructing the story of the match. So that's the value of data. And using AI, we can come up with objective measures to leverage that data to tell a story through a different lens. Understood. That's that's very interesting. I didn't know I've been consuming sports data, but I didn't know where it's originally coming from. So good to know. Now, sort of, as you mentioned, right, you provide the data. Are you also providing some insights on the data? What's the intelligence that comes with the data that you're serving? Yeah. So there are a couple of ways that we use AI to tell better stories. So number one, it is using computer vision to generate more data. So we've been pioneers in player tracking data. We've been doing that for 10 years where we had cameras in venue and we track players at a very high frame rate. So a lot of the next generation statistics that you've seen in terms of player tracking and basketball and soccer, they basically came from us initially. Now, what we've been embarking on is creating more tracking data from broadcast. So we have a partnership with the Orlando Magic where we're actually collecting tracking data from broadcast, which enables us to go back in time and collect historical footage. So tracking data from games back, you know, 10 years ago, which will enable teams to come up with recruitment models to predict future performance of college players in the NBA. So that's one element where we use AI, you know, to create and generate more granular data to uh, do tell better stories, but also make better predictions. Now, that's the computer vision side. You can think of it as sensing. Now, in terms of understanding and generating insights, this is where we kind of double down on our predictive modeling capabilities. So one thing that we can do is actually do smart lookup where we can generate insights. So just based on the structured data that we have, we can give natural language insights into what's happened and we can convert that to many languages. We also have smart ratings where we can tell you when something interesting occurs. We can also leverage our live predictions, which can tell you such as at a moment's very, very important. So we have our live win probability models. We also have our season simulation models, which can give you the impact of a certain event. So for example, if a player scores a goal, we can see the impact during the Euro 2020 of how did that change the likelihood of a team progressing through the group stages or actually getting to the final. So in terms of using numbers to show the impact of certain events, uh, we've been actually pioneers in other metrics such as expected goal value, which is commonplace in soccer now. We've actually had that since 2012, which can give you a quantitative measure of how good a shot was. So instead of knowing that you scored or, or missed that shot, we can give you a probability of how good that chance was. And so there are just a couple of examples on how we can actually tell insights, not only via our predictions, but also using AI technology such as natural language generation. Yeah, now that's very, very interesting. One of the things that have that has been catching my interest and it's also very data-driven is betting now. And as, as you know, and you mentioned earlier, it's getting legalized across US as well. Now, and you mentioned you work with the B2B setting. When, when we think about the betting companies, are you providing them the data on the sports or is it also 
the probability and odds and all of the math that goes into calculating the odds for a bet? Yeah, so at Stats Perform, we do provide data to nearly all sports books. And there are two layers within the sports books. Obviously, you need the data to understand what's actually happening in the game. And we're really, really good at that. And a lot of the time, sports books don't want companies like us to get close to the bet. So to actually get close to, to the bet, doing trading and giving probabilities of mark, we don't actually do that. That's where risk management and bet suspension, all of that comes into play. So a lot of our customers prefer us as a provider not to get too close. So they like to look after that themselves. That's definitely where AI can be used and we have predictions, but we do it more in a media setting and we give more than 100% line. And so it's really adhering to what the customers want and what they see in, as a partner. And so we really focus on providing the best data and we can use AI to measure the quality of our data. We can flag anomalies. We have integrity services where we can flag these types of things there too. So in terms of our business, that's where we stay. And also that's very beneficial because we provide data to our other markets such as media and tech and also you know different teams. That's very interesting. Now, in terms of sort of building, as you mentioned, you've been building the team and the practice for the last six years within Stats Perform. I want to get a sense of what are some of the challenges you ran into as you build your practice? Was it the people? Was it the technology? What, what types of challenges did you handle? Yeah, so I think that there are a lot of challenges which are common in this space. It is getting the data in a form which is utilized for AI capabilities, you know, building that whole infrastructure and pipeline and, and getting the team set up. So it's one thing having the data. It's another thing actually getting it in the form where it can actually put for modeling purposes. So that was especially coming from academia. You know, there, there are separate skill sets. It's really leaning into being data centric instead of being model centric because really our differentiation is data. So you have to think about when you're building a new product, if you don't have differentiated data, it's my opinion that you really shouldn't proceed because otherwise you're in this arms race for model. And that's more of an academic endeavor. And so that was one of the key learnings. And the second thing is, so sometimes when we build a model, we optimize for the train and test set. And so that's great. But ultimately, the customers don't care about whether you're 89 or 90% correct. They care about other things. So dealing with all the edge cases. And as you know, building AI models or building product, AI products is tricky because you have to be robust to noisy data sometimes or live data. And sometimes, you know, the game you know, edge cases occur, but also the modeling aspects there and dealing gracefully with that. So it is more baking in that beta phase of testing where we can optimize for the business goals and satisfying the edge cases that will really cripple our customers. So again, they need it ready all the time. And uh, sometimes you just have to simplify or um, make the system more robust before you, you kind of focus on uh, the prediction accuracy because that's just one of the attributes, but you also you need that reliability and, and again, adhering and addressing all those edge cases. That makes sense. So as I think about the makeup of the team and, and the people you have in your team, what would be that skill set you would say that's most important or critical to managing it, right? And working through the edge cases and, and validating and testing, what would that skill set look like? Well, first of all, I think it, the most important thing is to have the right governance plan 
you know, to bake this type of testing in your planning, you know, giving your time to evaluate, creating dashboards to monitor and work with domain experts. And so it's very useful if your data scientists have domain knowledge, especially for feature crafting, but also for flagging these edge cases. But also you need the skills to be able to monitor this and, and, and flag these types of issues. So I think that's the first thing there, Ari. The second thing is for a lot of these things, especially when you're leaning into data-centric AI, you need to have a foundation of data engineering excellence. And so I think a lot of companies fall in the trap of hiring a lot of data scientists, a lot of people with PhDs and focusing on the modeling without any aspect of looking at that data foundation and kind of building pipelines because really success is predicated on data engineering excellence, especially what we do because we deal with a lot of granular data. We deal with live data. If you haven't got that excellence up front, it's a house of cards. So we're very fortunate that we have a very, very innovation engineering team and machine learning engineering team, which we build our foundation on. And then really I see the data scientists as a cherry on top because you know we, we stand on the shoulders of these data engineering giants. So yeah, that's another key takeaway, which you really need. Yeah. Excellent point. I've seen so too many times where uh, companies start with building the data science team and hiring a lot of data scientists in without having the foundation where the data scientists then spend months scrambling how to get the data and then data wouldn't fit in their machine and who do they talk to to get access to the data in the cloud and, and how do they get data in the cloud. So I've, I've kind of seen it. I, I know how important and critical having the data foundation is. So within your organization, is that something that was there when you joined in 2015 or is that something that has evolved and you've built out the data foundation and the platform? So it's really evolved. As you know, data science, data engineering is a nebulous term and a lot of these skills you don't learn, they're really industry things. And so even though you had people who had the capability and knowledge to do these tasks, organization, you have to do some changes. And we've tried different methods, whether, you know, in terms of building a data science team, whether you have that directly within a separate product or you centralize that, you know, each organization has have different methods, but it really has been an evolution here, Ari, where first of all, we have to get the proper product specifications. So we have to know what uh, the customers want. We have to also know if we can play in this space, if we have a differentiation and also how we're actually going to build that and, and resource that team to build these products, but also being able to iterate because again, you can build these monolithic structures and thinking it's solving everything, but then you just got instant tech debt. So it, it has been an evolution, but you know, that's the thing with machine learning. You need positive and negative examples and you know, we, we just keep evolving and I think there's a lot of great literature out now. I think a lot of people are evangelizing this. Andrew Ning, uh, Coursera, deeplearning.ai. I think he has a, a recent course on this, which um, I think is absolutely spot on. So when I went through that, you're going, yep, that's exactly it. And I was trying, I have been kind of codifying it for our internal purposes. But I think there's a lot of great literature, which has come out the last three, six months, which will help teams you know, on their AI journey. That's great. Now, just speaking of the industry in general, right, the sports aspect, I, I know it's, it's evolving and it's growing very rapidly and data is becoming more critical. Where do you see the future with sports analytics and, and all of the data that's captured? What does that future art of possible looks like, say, five years from now? 
Yeah, so I think there are a couple of things. So people do ask me that question. The first thing is, and we're on this journey, is to scale out data collection. And so, again, as I said before, you think about what sports data is, it reconstructs the scene of the match. The more granular the data you have, the better the reconstruction. So we're on a goal of digitizing every video. We want to get tracking data from every video that's ever been played, uh, starting with basketball and soccer, by going back and getting tracking data and getting more de detailed information. So that's the first thing. So even though that data exists in terms of videos, we need to get that into a digitized form. So the first hurdle is kind of scaling this out, and that's the journey that we're on. The second thing is being able to create live consumable AI. And so, again, as you know, data scientists don't like working with noisy data or live data. So it's very good to do analysis after the game or um, just doing it once and creating a dashboard and doing some analysis. So really what we have to do and to make this to, to leverage the most value and get the most optionality is to do live AI. And that way we need live data pipelines. We need to make live predictions. That's really the goal there. And then I think that opens up the optionality, as I mentioned before, of doing live assisted coaching or giving live insights to people at home or gamification. So imagine if you're watching, I'm a big, imagine you're watching a game cricket here in the States and I'm watching it with my family back in Australia, being able to predict every ball, you know, what's going to happen this ball, enabling us to have that kind of shared experience, I think is really, really exciting. And we're on the journey of doing that. The third thing is really leaning into reinforcement learning. And my vision with reinforcement learning is especially for tasks such as recruitment, you know, being able to forecast how a player is going to play long term, being able to integrate in private information such as injury. So a lot of clubs have that data that's not publicly available. So being able to merge public and private data together and doing long-term forecasting to do these predictions and leaning into reinforcement learning because we just don't have these long-term labels, these sequential labels. So I see that as a method of uh, being able to achieve differentiated, sorry, differentiated solutions in the space. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, I know there's a lot of interest in AI and there's so many kids out there that are interested in in sports and sports usually is naturally the first passion or interest. What advice would you give someone who is interested in data science and sports or want to operate or work at the intersection of data science and sports? What should they start with? Yeah, so I think just having a background in data literacy, and I do think sport plays a very important role here. I'll give you my personal journey. So I learned data literacy and I have my love of numbers from data from, from sports data and I think sports is can be seen by some as a complex and abstract thing and so you have 10 20,000 hours and you get your proficiency there similarly I think AI could be seen as the same same thing you know it is abstract when you do an AI course you can see it as very abstract and if you don't get the formula straight away, that can be discouraging and you can just drop off. So I actually think sport is a great vehicle to start learning AI. And so I think there the overlap between the two domains is very, very high. And so being able to explain human behavior, being able to measure human behavior via numbers, that's really what we're trying to do. And I think sports is a great vehicle to start to learn. 
and, and this is part of my passion. So at the start of the year, we did a, a four-part AI and sports seminar series, trying to educate people and, and draw the parallels from what they know in sport to more the abstract AI concepts. So that's one thing. And if they already have established that interest, if they have got a ground in an AI in data literacy, it's start hobbying. So start doing your own analysis. There's a lot of data out there. You can scrape data or there's a lot of publicly available data sets out there. We have some available via the AWS Data Exchange. Start doing your your own analysis because I meet a lot of people when we do have jobs open, uh, we get a lot of applicants. And the differentiator is to actually show that you've done something in this space. Show your knowledge and show how you actually approach it. So that's how you can get a leg up. Yeah, that's a great advice. Now, sort of turning to the, the your sort of consumers, right? The people that consume the data, the businesses. And, and one thing I am learning as a consultant is there is a bit of a chasm that exists today in terms of bringing the data, bringing the insights in, integrating that within the organization's fabric, whether it's a media company that wants to broadcast or whether it's a betting company you know, or so on, right? I want to get a sense of what is your experience working with B2B? Do you see that gap too? And, and how do they go about it based on your experience? Yeah, so it does vary. And, and we're, we're very fortunate that our clients are very knowledgeable and, and great to work with. I think it is part art, part science in, in a way. They don't, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. You don't know the art of the possible. So it is really a mixed strategy in trying to evangelize new technology. Obviously, it's, um, you're not going to adopt everything. So it's part of that education process where you can basically give ideas of what's possible because they're not immersed in data. They don't know what's possible. So that's one thing. And some people are receptive. But through that dialogue, you actually hear the blockers. You hear the problems that will get you to product market fit. And so that's one strategy. The other strategy is actually a lot of these customers have issues. They have pain points. And it has really been able to listen and having that trust and that dialogue and that partnership to be able to take that on and being able to partner. And again, to get product market fit, you need that, that key advocate. You need that key partner to really help you pilot that. And so in our space, it is, and I'd imagine it's similar to all, all other spaces that exist in industry. You know, you, you have to show the art of the possible, but also you have to listen to what your customers want and, you know, just depending on what they need, but also showing the ROI and the potential blockers. So I think that's another thing, being able to show ROI and getting that MVP mindset and just to see if it actually will address everything that you hope it can be before it gets too big. And that's a great advice. Patrick, it was a pleasure to have you on the show. It was super informational, so really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Appreciate it, Ari. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. If you like what you heard and are interested in more, visit us online at brainsbehind.ai and sign up for my monthly AI startup tracker. That's where I cut through the noise and bring you AI startups that are making tangible progress. Till next time, go out, be the brains behind AI.